You're listening to a DM podcast. What really solidified it for me, I think, was the podcast and the TV show. They went out at about the same time, but the response I got from people from the podcast was just so huge. Everyone who emailed me, they never really talked about the TV show. They always talked about the podcast and they spoke to me about listening to it and the things that made them think and feel. And I was really blown away by that. Um, And that's, I think, when I realised the power of it. One of the big trends of the past year has been the emergence of daily news podcasts. Spotify's Your Daily Drive has played a huge role in this. Today on Behind the Podcast, Jules and I talk to journalist Ruby Jones, the host of the 7am Podcast, a daily news show from Schwartz Media. Schwartz Media is the publisher of The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Unsurprising, but devastating in its arrogance. That's how some experts have described the federal government's unwillingness to properly fund the aged care sector. 7am differentiates itself by focusing on a single topic each episode, with a quick summary of what else you need to know today at the end. If you've ever listened to the New York Times, the daily podcast, you'll recognise the format. We spoke to Ruby a couple of months ago. She was making her way through 14 days of quarantine, locked in a hotel room in the Northern Territory, doing her best to create a makeshift studio under a duna cover, despite the heat. Ruby gives us some insights on how she and the good people of Schwartz Media are able to deliver first-class content six days a week. Let's start by finding out a bit more about what attracted Ruby to Schwartz Media. Yeah, so I, I mean, I obviously knew about the monthly and I've known about the Saturday paper and I've read those for a long time. But I think when 7am came out, I was already pretty interested in the podcast space and I think... I realised pretty quickly that they were doing daily news podcasting really well. Um, And I think their formula has stayed pretty much the same um, with 7am since they launched. Um, They kind of, I think, spent quite a lot of time thinking about what they wanted a daily news podcast to be and a lot of kind of planning time thinking about it before they launched. And they draw upon, and well, they, I now, draw upon the reporting that goes into the Saturday paper and the monthly and the quarterly essay and Australian foreign affairs. So we work really closely with the journalists and the writers and also sometimes scientists, um, climate scientists, people like that who write for those publications. So we all kind of sit under the same umbrella and we work really closely together. Until recently, we're all kind of in the same building, which made it easy. Um, so, so yeah, it's all fairly tight-knit, I would say. That sounds like a wonderful working environment for a journalist. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I think um, that's one of the things that's so great about it. And even though they're all, you know, they're all separate publications with their own editors and um, their own ideas about who they are and and their identity, um, it is a good environment because everyone can see the benefit of the show to them. So they all really like us because they see us as a way for their excellent work to get out there. I think that's good (laughs) good for me. Little champions inside the building. Or inside, formerly the building, (laughs) now remote. (laughs) We're massive fans of independent media here. What can people do to support Schwartz Media? 
Well, there's a two kind of main ways of doing that. And I think the first is to subscribe to either the monthly or the Saturday paper, because that's where all of the reporting on 7am comes from. Um, And so, you know, these people, they'll spend weeks or sometimes months on investigations for those publications, and then they'll come and tell us all about that. So that's kind of like the main source, I suppose. And then more recently, we've been experimenting with ways um, that people can support 7am directly. And so we now have people who subscribe to us and um, we have a lot of people who make monthly donations or one-off donations through our website and so we're kind of playing around with that because people have told us that they want to be able to support us and so that's the kind of the model that we're looking at at the moment. Wonderful. We'll be sure to put the links in the show notes so if you want to support, just go there. Oh, great. (laughs) So Schwartz and ABC are pretty different. What were the main changes you found transitioning from ABC to Schwartz? Yeah, I guess it's a big change because the ABC, the main thing is just the ABC is so big, right? It's a huge organisation. There's so many people. There's so many different parts of the ABC. And it's been a real change coming into a smaller organisation. And I have to say, I have loved that because you do at times feel (laughs) you can get a bit lost in a big organisation. But when you only have kind of a handful of decision makers around you that you can be in touch with at any time and you can make things happen really quickly and I love the ABC but it is it's a bureaucracy so things take time um, whereas you know at a smaller company (laughs) you know sometimes you can just uh, (laughs) um, but at shorts you can sort of say this is a thing I need to make this show good and I've kind of been amazed at how fast things can happen sometimes what's the size of the podcast team at Schwartz so there is me Osman Fricky is our editor. And then there is three... Sorry, there's three producers and then one field reporter. Uh, and then there's Brian who mixes the show. So how many is that? Seven? Am I counting right? Yeah, I ran out of fingers on <laughs> one, one hand. <laughs> and then there's also Eric Jensen, who's the editor-in-chief. So he oversees the podcast, the paper and the monthly. Um, but he can be quite hands-on sometimes. And um, so maybe like eight all up. Um, so I guess it's a fairly big team in terms of podcasting. So we like to start at the beginning. Before the ABC, you studied at RMIT. Uh, You finished in 2011. What was the landscape like then? Was podcasting even on your radar? I don't think podcasting really existed when I graduated from uni. Certainly wasn't taught at uni and it wasn't something that was on my radar at all. And the industry, I mean, it was precarious. Um, Like the journalism industry was precarious even back then. I think we were told when I graduated that there was one job for every 40 journalists who are graduating, which is a pretty scary stat to get. Yeah, I know, right? But uh, yeah, I was pretty obsessed with the idea of becoming a journalist And so I'd done some internships at uni and I'd been in the Darwin ABC newsroom for that. And so when I graduated, I contacted the editor of that newsroom. Every Tuesday, I had a bit of a pattern. At 11 a.m., I would call him. (laughs) His name was Murray. (laughs) And uh, I would say, hey, Murray. He must have expected it, right? Um, Because they went on for a long time. Uh, And I would sort of say, Murray, uh, you know, it's Ruby (laughs) again. uh, Just wondering if you have any work. And he would say, oh, not this week, Ruby, but try again. Yeah, I'll speak to you next week at 11. Yeah, and uh, I think it it took four months um, of Tuesday phone calls. But eventually he said, look, if you want to have a a three-month position in Alice Springs, 
And I just said straight away that I would take it. And he was like, do you want to just think about it for a minute? I was like, nope, nope, I'm there, I'm there. And it it all kind of came from that. So I I moved to Alice Springs, that got extended out. um, And then I ended up from that getting a cadetship at the ABC. And that was a huge deal. Like once I got a cadetship, I felt like I had, you know, some mentorship and some people backing me and it kind of grew from there. Do you remember the first time you heard about podcasting? Mm, That's a really good question. The first time I heard about it, I guess it was... I wonder what the first podcast I listened to would be. I would love to know. I'm going to mull that over at the back of my mind. I do remember when I realised it's what I wanted to do. So I I worked on this project, Unravel Barrenjoy Road. Um, It was a crime series, yeah. And it was a a three-part TV documentary and it was also we were making a podcast at the same time. So we were doing both things at once. And it was during that process that I realised that it was really podcasting was where I wanted to be, much more so than television. I just found that people would talk to you so differently if you approached them you know with a recorder rather than with a whole crew of people that you need to make a tv show yeah it's a totally different way of approaching interviews and approaching people i just found it so much more satisfying to be able to to go to people on my own and and build a relationship with them and talk to them one-on-one and you know a, a recorder is not an obtrusive thing it's just sort of sitting there um it's this sort of you know impartial little thing in, on the table and people forget about it straight away what really solidified it for me i think was the podcast and the tv show they went out at about the same time but The response I got from people from the podcast was just so huge. Everyone who emailed me, they never really talked about the TV show. They always talked about the podcast. Yeah. Um, And they spoke to me about listening to it and the things that it had made made them think and feel. And I was really blown away by that. Um, And that's, I think, when I realized the power of it. Yeah, it was an incredible first one to be involved with. So you hadn't really heard yourself on air prior to that? So I had had some radio experience. I worked at Triple J for a while um, on The Breakfast Show. And so I'd done some sort of live radio, but I hadn't done anything like that before. I'd done no podcasting, no long form narrative style podcasting. So that was a really steep learning curve. I had a a supervising producer called Tim Roxburgh, who I worked with really closely. And at first it was really difficult because I didn't, I don't think I got it. Like I didn't, hadn't done it before. I didn't really understand what it was that we were doing. And and we had a lot of fights at first, (laughs) but then it kind of, (laughs) it slowly started to fall into place. I realized how to do it. And then it became really exciting. You mentioned the Baron Joey Road podcast outperformed the TV show. Why do you think true crime podcasts are so popular? Mm, yeah, I mean, I would love <laughs> I would love to know that. I really I really really would. I think I mean there's an obvious narrative push to true crime and that's trying to find out who did this thing and solve this crime. So sometimes a difficult thing to do in any storytelling is to keep people listening and keep them engaged and keep them wanting to know what happens next and crime stories they just lend themselves to to that medium in a way that I think is really useful. I also think with true crime podcasts of and this is something I'd never seen before in any reporting I've ever done but people genuinely think or feel that they might be able to help you and don't 
feel shy about coming forward and and talking to you. And that's never happened to me before. People don't watch TV shows necessarily and think, oh, maybe I'll just let someone know. Yeah, you, you do feel separated from the person that's on the TV a lot more than you do when you hear someone just kind of in your head when you're going about your own business and, and doing the things, you know, cleaning the house or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And it's because you're there in their head while they do their chores. And so you become a bit of a, you know, a part of their world a little bit. And so there's this relationship built and then, yeah, and then they feel, I think, quite connected to what they're listening to. Um, and then you, yeah, you build this relationship with your audience in a way that um, is pretty amazing. I wonder if it's a bit like the Stephen King books always being or usually being far better than the movies where your imagination can run wild and when you're listening to a true crime scenario when it's a reenactment of something as opposed to you imagining it. Yeah, another thing is that with true crime like a lot of stuff can be pretty like grisly or or graphic and and that's maybe a bit too much to watch sometimes. You don't want to see that necessarily so you are a little more removed in some ways with a podcast. Without giving away spoilers, as it's still available for people to listen to, and it's a great listen, Unravel Baron Joey Road does cover the disappearance of Trudy Adams in, in 1978 and the dark underbelly of the Insular Peninsula. We had a little bit of a look into it and gone from 1978. We haven't had a result in this thing yet and every so often they would increase the reward amount that was there for new information and everything. How did you come across this story in the first place? You weren't obviously bounty hunters after reward money. <laughs> No, definitely not. So it's actually, it's not the way in which I would normally come across a story. So I'm very used to, as a journalist, if you have a story yourself, you're like pitching it to people and, you know, desperately trying to get them to let you report it. Um, And this was not that at all. So um, this was a project that the ABC already knew that they wanted to do. They had gotten a pitch from someone who was more involved in the production side of it and they knew that there was a story there. They had originally wanted to direct a documentary series along these lines and so they actually they were looking for journalists to look into what had happened and so I along with Neil Mercer and I think a lot of other people they were talking to quite a few journalists about it to kind of find the person that would be the right fit for the show and for the podcast and I think a big part of that is they were looking for someone who was quite engaged with podcasting and who who liked podcasting and I think that was definitely me at that time I was getting pretty interested yeah right in the thick of it it's something about the northern beaches of Sydney isn't there (laughs) and true crime I know there's so so many and I think the people on the northern beaches are kind of sick of it right yeah (laughs) (laughs) this might have some effect on our house prices can you guys just cool it for a little while (laughs) When you started at 7am, you took over from Elizabeth Coolis. Did you try and bring your own style to the show or maintain continuity? Mm, um, I think that's been a slow process for me because I really loved Elizabeth Coolis as a host. I thought, you know, I was a big fan of the show before I joined it and I liked... I liked how calm she was. I think that was what I always found really great about her as a news host because I think a lot of news shows can feel a bit frenetic. There's these things that are happening, they're happening right now, you need to know about them. You know, as much as I obviously am I'm trying to bring my own voice and, it's, and make it into my show and I feel like I am slowly kind of figuring out what that is, I do... I do remember thinking at the start that I did want to kind of capture some of that that calmness that she had. So I guess it's a bit of both. <laughs> did you find that your style changed a lot from doing the Unravel pod moving into this and it's sort of, you know, evolved along the way? Yeah, I think there has been a progression because even to make Unravel, that took quite a bit of time for me to be able to find my natural voice doing that. I think I'd done a lot of broadcast and so there was this process of trying to figure out how I speak naturally and how I do that. And I think I'm still in that process 
process. Like I'm still relaxing into that more and more and I'm, I'm hopefully just sounding more and more like myself. I think <laughs> that's where you, you've got to be, right? I understand Thursday's a deadline for the Saturday paper. Mm, yeah. Is that the first time you see the stories? No, 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 definitely not. Uh, so our week starts on Monday, the Saturday paper editorial meeting. Um, so I am in that meeting every Monday. And before I even go in, I will have obviously thought about stories that I think that we need to cover in the next week or two. And and then I will be part of that kind of decision-making process. So the editor of the paper, Madison, she'll be um, having conversations with the reporters about what they're reporting on. Um, and then we'll also be throwing ideas into the mix. And then um, we'll kind of come to a position where we know what they're working on. And we've also suggested ways that that could be a good audio story as well. And then we try to keep talking to the reporters during the week while they're doing their interviews uh, because we want them to record things as they go and, and record the people that they speak to. So we know what we're doing and we're, we're there every step of the way. And then when they file their copy on Thursday, which is a big day for us, that's when we start to properly kind of get down into the detail of it, I would say. Um, and so we take the story that they've filed. We'll get the first draft at the same time as the paper and we'll work from that. And that's when we really, I mean, our planning sessions, they can be an, an hour long usually, I would say. Yeah. And we start to really break it down then. And just dissect the article. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So we start to think about like what the themes of the piece are what the uh you know what the through line of the story is what the narrative arc is what the points of tension are what tape we can use all of those things are they submitting tape as they go through during the week when they're out interviewing people or yeah they will so you do have a chance to listen to it and start to think about you know form a bit of a narrative throughout the week yeah so the producer who's assigned to that story they'll you know they'll get tape from them during the week and work with that they'll also you know if they know what their story is they can obviously be keeping an eye on like if it's like about the hotel inquiry, quarantine inquiry, they can keep an eye on the inquiry and listen for tape that we might need from that. So, yeah, we try and kind of stay on top of things as they happen rather than on Thursday just getting flooded with all these stories and completely losing our minds. <laughs> Is there something that makes a good podcast story as opposed to a good article? Mm, yeah, I think they are different, right? They're definitely not one and the same. And I think there are different ways of looking at this. I think... The stories that are best on the show are the ones that have, they have a clear narrative arc and a clear structure and also have have good characters. I would say we're always trying to kind of identify whether there's a person um, beyond the reporter who can take us through a story um, and show us consequences and, and that sort of thing. Also, we're always just thinking about other audio and ways to bring a story alive and we will sometimes do stories that are in no way attached to the paper if we think that there's an opportunity to tell a really good audio story we did one this week with a primary school in melbourne who's been in lockdown um basically since march so it's one of the longest school lockdowns i think in the world actually and they started their own radio station um, to kind of try and cope with that yeah uh and so we did this big story with them we spoke to their teacher we spoke to the kids um i went on their radio station BNWPS radio, which was fun. And Fantastic. so that was like a very, yeah, it was, so it was great. celebrities already. Um, <laughs> well, we did a deal, right? Um, I'll come on their show if they come on mine. <laughs> so, yeah, we do also, like we're quite, we're always thinking about audio storytelling. And that's, yeah, I suppose one example of that. It's a great story. <laughs> They're very smart, those kids. They've got long futures ahead of them in the podcasting world. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> 
Do you have an inkling when you've wrapped a show if it's going to capture people's attention or is the response a little different each time? I mean, sometimes we will do a show, like for that kids one, we really, we thought that might connect with people. And one of the reasons we did it is because we were kind of aware that this has been a time of a lot of heavy news. And so we we wanted to try and find something a bit lighter. And we were hoping that that would be something that people would want to hear and want to connect with. Um, I haven't seen the numbers on it yet. Um, I hope it did well. You know, we are, we are always thinking about that when we tell the right story at the right time that's when we get our biggest episodes so um, we are always kind of thinking about the timing and about the story and there is definitely a sweet spot there and when you hit it you're like that's like that's it like we're we're totally relevant today we want that every day obviously but (laughs) and now you're kind of living the story as well (laughs) you mean in quarantine yeah (laughs) yeah I am. I, I am. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it's quite a feeling. I'm getting kind of hot under my um, blanket in my little hotel room at the moment. I had to turn the air conditioning off because, you know, sound quality. Um, but it's been a bit of an experience in here, I've got to say. There's been some unique challenges. Anything in particular? So my very first interview in quarantine was with Rick Morton, who is our Sydney-based reporter. And he went into a local studio there to record the interview. Um, and then I had um, our editor, Osman, in Melbourne, and he was like sitting there uh, in Melbourne waiting for us to record. And I had set up this entire little setup. I've got like pillows. I've got some soundproofing stuff I brought with me. I've got my mic. Like everything was ready to go. And I had like a minute to spare. And so I thought I'd just take a breath of fresh air because we're allowed out into our balconies. And I did that. And then... <laughs> realized when I was out there that I had forgotten to to take the the hotel swipe card to get back in and so I was just stuck on my balcony. It's actually quite a good strategy for getting the fresh air when you're in quarantine to get yourself locked out of the (laughs) hotel room. Exactly no one can tell you to go back in and I think this was when I realized that I was because I'm from the Northern Territory originally and this is when I realized that I, I was back because it just runs on a different time like I was calling the reception being like I'm locked out it's really important I've got this interview everyone's waiting for me and they're like oh yeah yeah we'll send someone out soon (laughs) and I was like no but like it has to be soon and uh anyway I waited like 15 minutes still no one so I called again and they're like oh yeah oh maybe like another 10 minutes and I was like oh Oh. my god (laughs) what do I do um and so uh, it ended up taking more than half an hour I called them back another time and they were like well there's someone walking around they're wearing like a red t-shirt just flag them down when you see (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it was, um, it took more than half an hour and, um, Luckily, Rick Morton is a lovely, lovely person and didn't hold it against me. Although I did find out at the next Monday meeting that I went into, uh, everyone knew the story and he had told the entire Schwartz Media stable what had happened. So thanks, Rick. (laughs) Do you ever have any major disagreements about what should go in the show? Yeah, that happens all the time, actually. There's a lot of disagreements. I think it's good. I really enjoy it. I mean, I don't love to fight, but I think it does show that we're all quite passionate about what we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, We will have disagreements about which pieces in the paper we think should be on the show. Um, We'll have disagreements in the edit room about which bits should be cut and which bits should stay. And it's really like everyone has to strongly make the case. Um, And it can take a while sometimes to sort of hash it out. Yeah, for sure. Does someone have the casting vote? (laughs) Um, 
it's kind of you kind of end up talking it through until it becomes clear who has the best case I would say is the usual way that it gets resolved <laughs> so it is a proper meritocracy <laughs> yeah yeah I think so but that's not a that's not a fast process necessarily <laughs> is it maybe people need to pull rank I don't know <laughs> sometimes if it gets down to the line so your episodes go live at 4 a.m every weekday morning. It's not a daily news update, so it's got a bit of a shelf life to it, but have you ever been working close to a deadline to deliver an episode the next morning? Mm, That happened a bit at the beginning of the pandemic, which was necessary because so much was happening. And I think for the first time we were doing one day turnarounds because we, before that we were, we had much more lead in, we were doing much more planning, but things were changing so rapidly. And I don't know if like you guys would remember, but back then Scott Morrison was doing press conferences at like nine or 10 at night. And we were making changes quite late into the night back then. So we do have that flexibility. We can do it if we have to, you know, we prefer not to, but it's a daily news show. So sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's it gets a little down to the line. <laughs> Not to 4am. We've never been up till 4am to get it out, but it's gotten late. <laughs> the 359 publisher. <laughs> you, you often do two-part episodes on the same subject. Do you then consciously try to balance out the next episode to be on something different? Oh, uh no, we don't consciously do that. That hadn't actually occurred to me. I suppose if we, so we, like our most recent two-parter was on aged care. And I guess because we felt like we've kind of comprehensively looked at that, we probably wouldn't do a story about that for, a, you know, a week or two unless, you know, something big happened. Um, so I suppose in that sense, we do balance out our two-parters. Well, when you're planning out hmm. the week then, do you look at common themes? Do you try and have some variety over the week or is it just the best stories? Yeah, I think... I think we are aware that we, yeah, that we want to have a, a, a news mix that's different. I mean, obviously, that has again been challenged by by COVID nineteen because it, I mean, it's affected everything, right? And so um, we've had entire weeks where every single story will be related to COVID nineteen. But I think we are definitely aware that we want to offer people different types of stories. So when we feel like we've done, you know, an entire week of COVID-19 news, we will think, well, you know, what is happening that's not COVID related? And that's how a story like we did one a while ago about, um, you know, some environmental decisions that were being made at the time that weren't really in the news so much because everyone was focused on COVID. So we will often take a step back like that and think, you know, is there a story that's not being told? Is there something that we're missing? Yeah, it's amazing to find a non-COVID-related story in the media at the moment. Truly an incredible effort. (laughs) Thanks. When the pace picks up during something like COVID, how do you make sure that you have all the facts correct? Yeah, it's definitely harder. I think we are lucky because the Saturday paper has full-time fact-checking that happens for every single article. So we can work quite closely with them. Um, and so there is like there is a process already inbuilt into the reporting that, that really helps us. But that is, that is challenged when you're trying to do things really, really quickly. And I'm kind of in two minds about it. I mean, I've been on, I've done lots of like live radio and, and kind of meeting deadlines really quickly. And I find that fun and exciting but I have to say one of the things that I do love about this show is that we get like there is so much thought put into planning as well I've been on shows where you rock up um, like daily shows you rock up in the morning and you have no idea what your show is going to be that day and that's not us like we we think about it a lot and we try not to you know we never have no idea what we want to do we always have some idea of of what's coming and and how we want to cover it 
You end each podcast with an also in the news today section. Yes. What's the process for this? So it's either me or it is Oz Faruqi, the editor, who will write the headlines um, and we'll do that at some point in the afternoon. So like I was saying, at the peak of COVID, those headlines were getting written at midnight. But usually we would write them, say, like maybe 4 or 5 p.m. and I'll record them around then and send them to the sound mixer, Brian, who will kind of add them to the end of the show. But... Yeah, if something does happen, I mean, I've had to redo them sometimes, like later on at night, because the last version of our show gets listened to at 9pm. So the sound mixer, Brian, will send the the final product to either one of the producers or me. We have like a rotating roster and that's when we'll do the final listen. And so that's kind of usually the last opportunity to make changes. And so it's kind of like you could do headlines up until 9pm, essentially, if, um, if it's a big news day. <laughs> so you've been with them since January 2020? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, I started in January. So, yeah, it's coming up to a, a year. What a year. <laughs> Who knew that this would yeah, be my exactly. year? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, obviously, it's been pretty <laughs> remarkable. What are your hopes for 2021? That it just kind of... There's no news? <laughs> Would that be good news? <laughs> It'd be nice to have a, a slightly quieter time in some ways, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've had we've had really good growth this year. So we've doubled the amount of listeners since I started. When, yeah. So that's been really good. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can kind of, we can keep pushing that trend. That would be my goal for, for next year, for 2021. We went through your reviews. Oh, mm-hmm. Fantastic audience feedback. I mean, the only negative reviews were really along partisan lines. And if you're on social media in 2020, that's 100% approval in my opinion. (laughs) How do you get audience feedback? Um, So people email us a lot. We, We get a lot of emails. I sometimes look at the iTunes reviews. It's nice of you to say they're all nice. I did read one the other day that said I spoke like a 12 year old, which I don't think was very fair. <laughs> that Maybe was one of the twelve-year-olds at the public school who are now learning how to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> must have listened to that episode. (laughs) Yeah, maybe they got confused. Maybe it was actually one of the kids. Uh, Yeah, so a lot of people email us. We get reviews on iTunes, obviously. And then, I mean, we have a a decent social media presence. Um, We're on Twitter and Instagram and people will message us that way too. I have to say, once someone recognized my voice when I was ordering coffee, which was kind of (laughs) cool. Yeah. And so I got an in-person review from them. them. Um, So that was fun. That was fun. Favorable, I hope. Yeah, yeah. They, they said they loved the show. I mean, it would be a bit confronting while you're ordering your coffee if someone was like, oh, God, your show it's terrible. <laughs> Luckily, <laughs> that was not... coffee. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I listen to it so often that I recognise your voice, but I hate it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Do you find that the audiences and people that you've interacted with, they differ between Unravel and 7am? Yeah, I think they probably are quite different audiences. I wonder, I wonder what kind of crossover there is. I don't really know, but I would suspect that the people who uh, are interested in sort of long form crime might be slightly different than the people who listen to daily news shows. But then also, I mean, the podcast space is growing so fast and so many people just listen to podcasts in general that there potentially, you know, is a crossover. And I suppose at its heart, Baron Joy Road, it was it was journalism and it was an investigative journalism series. And at its heart, 7am is also it's journalism and it is at times investigative journalism too. So I don't know, maybe there is some crossover. Maybe there are people that that listen to both. That would be cool. And you're writing a book now. 
Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's actually, it's pretty close to done, which I'm really, uh, really excited about. It's been a long time coming. So we're kind of, we're doing the final edits on it now. And so it's it's based on our investigations, our podcast investigations. But what happened when the podcast went to air is just so many people got in touch. We had hundreds and hundreds of people who who wanted to speak to us about our investigation. And so we, we didn't feel like we could stop. Um, looking at it and so yeah we we kept going and everything that has happened since is is going to be in the book you're very much into the podcasting are there any podcasts in particular that are your must listens each day in your routine yeah so I definitely do like a troll of all of the news podcasts like the Australian news podcasts I kind of flick between them and I also I listen to to radio news as well but lately I have been I've been listening to non-news podcasts a lot more lately I think that's to do with being in lockdown and wanting a bit of a break sometimes um, especially since my job is to have my head in it all the time and so I've been actually listening to a great cooking podcast (laughs) Um, I'm getting a lot of joy out of it I really am Um, it's called home cooking um, and it sees two it's US and there's two hosts um, uh, Samin Nasrad and and Harishikesh her way and they it's like this really accessible cooking show so they have people call in and they're like you know I've got all of these zucchinis I don't know what to do with them or like I bought like tons of beans because I thought I was going to be in lockdown and I'm so sick of beans and how do I make beans taste good and I found it really relatable yeah so you, i have one tea bag and two biscuits and a microwave what can i do they would they would come up with something amazing i'm telling you they're geniuses yeah yeah and there's just so many tips and also they have amazing chemistry and i think that's something that you guys would know about as like a joint kind of thing that's not something i have to deal with as a solo host but they are uh, yeah they're just like they have so much fun and they just sound like they're having a great time and you want to be in on it sounds great do you have any other guilty pleasures um, I mean, like sometimes, like I, I, like I'm into pop culture. I definitely listen to to pop culture podcasts. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Um, so you know, I like listen to like Abby Chatfield's podcast sometimes, and uh, yeah, I'm, it is a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Yeah, uh, and I listen to like the Shameless Skulls a lot, and you know, I'm like I'm right there with all of that. <laughs> That's some good recommendations. <laughs> Any tips for people starting a podcast or with a podcast? Yeah. I mean, the cool thing, I think, about the podcasting space at the moment is there's just so much happening and it's got like a slightly Wild West feel sometimes because there's, you know, there's just so many different types of shows and there's so much that you can do and there's there's no real like, I mean, there is some structure to it, but there's less of a hierarchy than you would find, right, in like a traditional TV kind of world or, or like that. And so there's just, there's just more opportunity and I think people it's actually a really friendly space I think you guys hopefully you would agree with me on this um, but people are really willing to talk to you and help you in this space everyone's kind of trying to figure it out and you know there's not a lot of ego there's just a lot of people who really like making podcasts and really like talking about it and so I think that is the cool thing about it being able to reach out to people and have them usually respond like I've been astonished at how many people will just like give you advice and help you out and um, there's a real community feel to it which I think is super cool so I suppose the advice there is just to like yeah talk to people as much as you can because they're all really friendly I think that's a lovely way to finish off well thanks very much for that thank you so much for having me on this has been fun Big thanks again to Ruby from 7am taking the time out of her busy quarantine to talk to us upon the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Ruby. Links to everything 7am and Schwartz Media are in the show notes. 
This is a partnership between the Australian Podcast Awards and DM Podcasts. Head to the Australian Podcast Awards website to see all of this year's winners.